Good morning, Hope. Merry Christmas. Hope you guys all had a sweet time with each other. Just a little while. You're good. Nope. Can y'all hear me? Yeah. Okay. I'm excited to be here today to be preaching God's Word. Um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 22 through 40. I'm excited. I've just been thinking about uh, these last few days and getting excited about thinking about what God will do by God's Spirit, with God's Word, and God's people. And so I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump right in. Father, we thank you. We thank you for today. We thank you for this season when we have time and the busyness of life to slow down and to think on your Son, your mercy, your kindness, your patience, and sending him. Uh, Lord, there is so much uh, that would uh, seek to grab our attention, and we, this morning, we want to behold Christ and a baby. And so, Lord, we need you uh, to give us ears to hear your word. If we were to hear your word apart from your spirit, it would not profit us. We need to hear your word. And we need it to be rooted down in our hearts. And God, we ask that you would do that. We ask that you would take your word and we pray that you would cause it to bear fruit. Lord, I want to ask that you, uh, this morning, any who are coming in here today, discouraged or hurting, we pray you, Lord, uh, would comfort for those who are broken, would you bind up any of their wounds? And Father, we pray that you would go after any that would be lost. Lord, I pray that your word would come in power, that you would do immeasurably more than any of us could imagine. And God, I'm excited to see what you will do in your word. We have that promise. And I just think so often, God, about uh, you... I know I've said it before, but Lord, you don't promise to bless any sermon. It is your word, the reading of your word that you've promised to bless. And so, God, we want to have that reminder. And so, Lord, would you bring your word home to our hearts today? We pray, help us to see Christ clearly. Amen. All right, well, we are going to be in Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 40. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. And uh, I'm going to give us a little bit of background on Luke, um, uh, just short. But uh, Luke was written uh, for a purpose. And Luke tells us at the beginning of Luke that he was writing to uh, a man named Theophilus. And he writes because the purpose of what he's going to do is he's going to begin to gather an account of the ministry, of the life and ministry of Christ. And to be able to have it written down so that Theophilus would be encouraged and he would be strengthened. And so when we're reading the words of Scripture, that's what we're reading. We're reading God giving his word so that our faith would be strengthened. And, he, and we have his word confirmed and fully assured to us. 
And so Luke, uh, when he begins to tell the story of Christ, when he wants to begin getting our minds thinking about Christ, he begins at the beginning with a birth story. And so he begins with a tale of two births. And those two births are John the Baptist and Jesus. And so uh, he tells us about John the Baptist. We read that. uh, And then shortly after that, uh, and probably no doubt because John the Baptist was the forerunner, the one who was called to make straight the paths of the Lord. It seems right that Luke would uh, put John first. And then comes Christ. And so um, so we're going to jump in right here. And so our text is going to be Luke chapter 2, 22 through 40. So we're going to jump in, and we're going to take this in three parts. And what we're going to see is that Christ is revealed through the Word of God. Christ is revealed through the Spirit of God. And Christ is revealed through the people of God. So I'm going to read for us. Uh, these first few verses from Luke chapter 2, 22 through 24. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem, Jesus, to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. You know, sometimes when we read a passage in Scripture, especially when it comes to the Old Testament, uh, and we hear words like sacrifice uh, or offering, Old Testament language, um, words like that can kind of all come together and just congeal like one solid mass in our brain. Uh, and what happens is we, we just kind of skim right over it without even thinking about it, and, and everything is fine, and we check off all the boxes, we, and, and we just fly right over it. Uh, I was watching a documentary on Mount Everest one time, and, uh, you know, there's this part, uh, when, when they're taking a trip up to the top, there's this area called Rainbow Row. Uh, you know it's called Rainbow Row? Because... It's, it's a point in their journey uh, where it's specifically dangerous. And if you look down, you can see where travelers have fallen. And it's called Rainbow Road because you can just see their gear they're wearing splattered everywhere. Uh, some of us feel like that when we read through Leviticus, right? Um, and you know what? That's probably why many of us, we start off our Bible reading plan and we never make it out the other side. It, it just seems confusing. But one of the things that I want us to see by by picking up on these small details, this is so crucial, is that God loves to be faithful to his word. I'm really excited to get into this. This this was fun, uh, and I think uh, you're going to enjoy it as well. All right, so so here's where we're going to start. Luke begins in verse 22, and he says, And when the time came for their purification... According to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And we're going to come back to that word there later. You're like, man, he's really hanging on words. Give me some trust factor. Trust me. uh, It's going to be huge. Okay? It's applicational. But but he cites, when he starts off, he cites Exodus 13.2, which reads, 
consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. So Luke starts off talking about purification. And the first verse he cites actually isn't even about purification. It's about consecration. And immediately, question mark should go off because this verse doesn't have anything to do with purification or sacrifice. And how do we know that? Because it says consecrate. And so this is consecration language. And actually, the passage that deals with purification, specifically childbirth, is in Leviticus, verses 2 through 7. So I'm going to read that. This is good. All right. All right. Leviticus chapter 12, this is how it reads. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days. As at the time of her menstruation, she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Then she shall continue for 33 days in the blood of her purifying. She shall not touch anything holy, nor come into the sanctuary, until the days of her purifying are completed. But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean two weeks, as in her menstruation. And she shall continue in the blood of her purifying for sixty-six days. And when the days of her purifying are completed, whether for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb, a year old, for burnt offering and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. And he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her. Then she shall be clean from the flow of her bud. This is the law for her who bears a child, either male or female. And if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean." So there's a three-stage process um, in the um, childbirth ritual. So the first, the woman was unclean for seven days. The child is circumcised on the eighth day. And then the woman is unclean for 33 days, if it's a son, in this case it is. And then stage three, the mother brings a lamb for a burnt offering and a fowl, a bird, for a sin offering. And if she can't, she brings two. Now that's the passage for Mary. Now it says that she brought a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Joseph and Mary, Luke's making the point that Joseph and Mary can't afford a lamb. But instead, they bring that they are able according to God's word. And this is key. God is sovereign over the tiniest of details. God uses their faithfulness according to their means to show off a great truth. What truth is that? Well, we go to Genesis 22.7, another passage. And most of us are probably familiar with this passage. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. 
He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. Pause. It's not just that Joseph and Mary are, are poor and they're coming and they're being faithful according to their means. God is orchestrating all of this. Why? To show that God himself would provide the promised lamb at a cost to himself and without price. But who would have thought it would have been the Son of God? Side note, Mount Moriah is also the location where Solomon built the first temple and subsequently where the second temple was built. And so here in the temple, the promised Lamb of God, promised 1,900 years earlier, who would take away of the sins of the world, is presented. And we see God is faithful to his word. So what's the takeaway from this? Mary and Joseph being faithful according to their means, bringing two pigeons. How does that bear on us? Be faithful in the small things. That Joseph and Mary circumcised their son and presented him at the temple really wasn't anything that would have stood out from other families in similar circumstances and what they would have been doing. Uh, Joseph and Mary probably were not the only family bringing a son to the temple to present him. Um, I, I don't know about you, I didn't write home to my parents when, when our boys were circumcised. It's just not a thing you do. You know, it's an otherwise ordinary, uh, it, there's nothing remarkable about it. And if you and I had been there at the temple that day, they probably wouldn't have stood out to you and me. But they were faithful, and they stood out to God. And that's what mattered. Now, wait a minute. You guys are smart, and you're thinking, wait a minute, Rob. You're getting off a little too quick. You said at the beginning, we were going to come back to that word there. Y'all are really smart. All right. Why was Joseph making an offering? Okay, do you see this? When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, such a tiny word, there. Um, why would it say their purification? Why was Joseph making an offering? Shouldn't it have only been Mary? Some, call, some scholars think maybe this was a typo. 
uh, that just kind of evolved over time. Others think maybe this is actually uh, proof uh, that maybe Jesus wasn't born as innocently as was supposed. So what's the real reason? Well, the most likely scenario is that Jesus had delivered, or is that Joseph had delivered Jesus in the inn and was rendered unclean. And he would have also been rendered unclean if he had just touched Mary. It's highly unlikely that he would not have come into contact with Mary during her birth and during her trip up to Jerusalem. And so in all likelihood, Joseph was just unclean. And here's the bigger issue. Joseph and Mary are going to make a sin offering together, and they're going to the temple. Can you imagine what people would have been saying about Joseph and Mary going to the temple to make a sin offering together? Here comes Joseph and Mary, little Jesus in tow, and rumors start going around. But Joseph and Mary are committed to doing everything according to God's word, even at the expense of their own reputation. And why would they do that? Because they feared God and they cared more about what God thought than what man thought. And I want to read through this passage and just notice how many times according to your word comes up. It's key. Uh, even in Luke chapter 1, uh, which is in our passage, but when Gabriel comes to Mary and he reveals that she's going to have a baby, what does Mary say? Behold your servant, let it be according to your word. In our verses, and when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to presenting to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. And then if we skip down, and we're at Simeon, we're getting a little bit ahead, but we're going to see Simeon. And he came in the spirit in the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. And then even at the end, and when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And even that was according to the law of the Lord. And uh, Jesus, or Luke, just, why is Luke doing that? Uh, because it's important. Luke is just trying to show with Elizabeth, you know, in the birth story of John, Luke tells us that Elizabeth and Zechariah are righteous. But with Joseph and Mary, he shows us that they're righteous. Be faithful in the small things. And make it your aim to please him in all things. And your life will reveal Christ. All right, so we saw that Christ is revealed through the word of God. And now we see that Christ is revealed through the spirit of God. So I was trying to think of an example. Uh, and maybe it's because of this time of the year. I was trying to think of an example of, uh, that would capture... Um, you know, something, somebody waiting for something, 
uh, and then they get to, and it's not quite what they thought, but it was better. And at first, I thought about, I was thinking about Star Wars, and maybe it's because this year, I thought about Star Wars 9. And I was like, man, that was a long wait getting to that point. And I was going to make the point and say, you know what, we all waited and we got there and it wasn't quite what we thought, but it was better than we thought, uh, but it wasn't. So it didn't really work. Uh, but so uh, we're just going to jump right in then into verses 25 through 32. And Luke introduces us to a man named Simeon. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. All right, so Luke introduces us to a man named Simeon. And we don't know much about Simeon, but we do know he was righteous and devout. And further, it had been revealed to him that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Earlier we had seen, uh, we were, I was just telling you uh, earlier, Luke didn't tell us that Mary and Jesus were righteous, but he showed us. And we saw how their faithfulness looked like Joseph delivering Jesus in a stall and then traveling to Jerusalem to bring an offering. And then later they would travel back to Nazareth. And there's a lot of movement with Mary and Joseph. But with Simeon, he's described as righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And what's interesting is that Luke shows us his faithfulness in waiting. In this passage for us, meets us right where we're at as we, as we are waiting for Christ. Waiting around and just merely passing time doesn't make us more righteous and devout. It's not the human condition. And it's not the Christian condition. Your desires will shape you. But the Christian is the one who's had their desires realigned and fixed on Christ. So that we're not just passing time anymore, but whether we are actively waiting on Christ. So I'm going to get a little application on here for a minute. Older saint, consider Simeon. Consider that as he waited, there's no indication that he shrank in righteousness, but rather he grew. There is a world of difference between mellowing out over time and growing in sanctification and being conformed to the image of Christ. And it's a subtle but substantial difference. Young person, us, me, 
What are you waiting on? As you consider the years laid out before you and you make your decisions and you plan your life, do you know that unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain? Look at Simeon and see a man who labored well because he labored in waiting for Christ. He couldn't do any better. Simeon is described as righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, the comfort of Israel. But he's also described as being filled with the Spirit and led by the Spirit into the temple. What is this about? It's about the Word of God and the Spirit of God working. And this is the way it always is. The Word of God and the Spirit of God are always working together to lead men to see and savor the Son of God. And the role of the Spirit is always to reveal Christ. And I just want to press into that for a minute. Um, a book I've, been, I've enjoyed picking from um, is J.I. Packer. His book, Keeping Step with the Spirit. If, you're, if you've ever thought, man, you know, I'd like to know more about the Spirit. You could hardly do better uh, than Packer's. And uh, Packer, uh, he, he lays out two questions that we shouldn't ask as Christians that are unhelpful and one that is. And the first question uh, that he lays out, and he says, we shouldn't ask, do you know the Holy Spirit? We should be asking, do you know Christ? And then he lays out and he says, the second question, uh, he says, should our interest shift from knowing the Son to knowing the Spirit, two evils would at once result. On the one hand, like the Colossian angel worshipers, we should impoverish ourselves by not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. On the other hand, we should immerse ourselves in a world of spurious spiritual feelings and fancies that are not Christ-related. Second question we shouldn't ask, do you have the Holy Spirit? <laughs> you shouldn't put that question to a Christian. Why? He says, every Christian has the Spirit from the moment of their conversion. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to Christ. But here's the point I want to read. It's super helpful. Packer says, No, the question which we should ask instead, both of ourselves and of each other, is, does the Holy Spirit have you? Does he have all of you or only some parts of you? Do you grieve him or are you led by him? Do you rely on him to enable you for all those responses to Christ to which he prompts you? Do you reckon with the fact that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you and you have received from God? Do you revere his work within you and cooperate with it or obstruct it by thoughtlessness and carelessness, indiscipline and self-indulgence? There is so much uh, today that passes for an interest in the Spirit that has nothing to do with an interest in Christ. And the reason I read that, beloved, if we would have more of Christ, Scripture lays out that we are to keep in step with the Spirit. But the moment we want more of the Spirit without wanting more of Christ, we have just, we're tripping coming out of the gates. We're off on the wrong foot. 
But the question that Luke presents us with in this passage is this. How much do we value seeing Christ? Seeing Christ is everything. If you would see a man, if you would see Simeon waiting, what would make Simeon wait? Why would he wait? What would cause a man in his old age not to decline in righteousness, but to grow in it? It's because he had his eyes fixed on Christ. And you will become what you behold. What you look at will shape how you wait. 1 John 3.2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. That is true, not just for the future, but now. The more clearly you see Christ now, the more you will be like him. That's what will anchor you. Next. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. I imagine that for some of you, as I've been preaching, God's word has been doing just that, revealing your thoughts. And if that's you, I'd like to speak to you for just a second. It is no small thing to have the word of God sort through and discern your thoughts. It can feel incredibly personal and intimidating but I'd like to offer you some encouragement as a friend in order that you might not harden your heart, but instead heed wisdom. First, consider God's purpose. Consider God's purpose. A good doctor will always help his patients keep in mind the end goal so as not to lose heart. Perhaps it's eye surgery to help a patient better see their loved ones or it's the repairment or the replacement of a limb so as to enjoy old activities. Or maybe it's invasive treatment for an illness in hopes of extending time with loved ones. But in each case, a good doctor will never go any further than he has to. He may insert the knife, but only to a point and no further. Friend, if God is dealing with you today, know that your pain is not his goal, but your redemption and his glory. You should take great confidence that God is committed to his glory. And if you are a Christian, God is actually so committed to his glory that he will do whatever is necessary to conform you to the image of his son. It's a weighty thing to be pursued by God. And if you're not a Christian... Know that Christ is appointed for the rise and fall of many. And it is his way to knock a man down so that he may raise him up. But friend, what is being knocked down in this life compared with being raised to new life and seated with him for all eternity, days without end? 
If you are not a Christian, why on earth would you hold back? Do you know anyone else in heaven or on earth who would give themselves for you like this? Christ, who was given to you as a baby, will surely take you to himself and wean you off of this world and onto himself, and he will do it with joy. Why would you wait? Is there anyone more gracious than this? Second, consider God's patience. Friend, if God is dealing with you today, consider how much patience he has shown you up to this point. If you resist him in dealing with you today, there may come a time when the knife which would have bruised tendons will have to sever limbs. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is not a slacker. He wants it all. He's not going to leave anything on the table. And if you wonder, why is God waiting? He's not being lazy. He's being generous. And he's being zealous for his own glory. He wants all of it. And he won't leave anything. Third, consider God's provision. We saw that the one who was appointed for the fall and rising of many... And for a sign that was opposed is also the one who was appointed to be the consolation of Israel. Imagine that. The one given to bring division is also the one given to comfort. The one appointed to break is the one appointed to bind up. And actually, that's not really putting it strong enough. There's no one else who can bind you up. When we say that Christ was appointed, it's not as though God was playing some cosmic game of duck-duck-goose. That's not what was happening. God was setting forth the one in whom he was pleased, very well pleased, his son. And he gave him as a baby. And if he didn't spare his own son, how would he withhold anything good from you? So we've seen Christ revealed through the Word of God. We've seen Christ revealed through the Spirit of God. And now we'll see Christ is revealed through the people of God. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. We really don't know a whole lot about Anna. Uh, You know, when Luke is writing, when you're recording information, One of the things that uh, Luke does when he's writing history, when he really wants to pull his listener in, is actually leave information out. It's a way of just engaging your imagination. And so we don't know a lot about Anna, but we do know enough. We learn she's a prophetess, and that her father's of the tribe of Asher, 
She's widowed. She's either 84 or she's been a widow for 84 years. We're not sure, but it's one or the other. Either way, she's presented as devout. And she daily attends the temple, worshiping and waiting on the Messiah. And beyond that, we don't get much else. Now, what I find interesting with Anna is this. Luke puts Simeon and Anna side by side. That's not by mistake. Luke has been eager to show with Joseph and Mary their desire, to, their desire really to do everything according to the law of the Lord. And Luke continues that thread by putting Simeon and Anna side by side. God has sent two witnesses to confirm so that in the Old Testament, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, it would affirm and attest to a thing. And that's what we're seeing. God is putting, and and notice who he's putting. Luke has gone through great detail. Great detail. Not just to show two people, but to show two faithful Israelites. It matters. Their life matters. God cares much about showing off his son through those who are faithful. He cares much about it. The text says that Anna, uh, coming up at that very, very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. I just think there's so much about Simeon and Anna that just kind of intrigues me. I mean, imagine uh, with Simeon, uh, it's possible he even knew that the Messiah would come before, um, before Mary knew that she was going to give birth. Um, and Anna, in my imagination, here's how I see this play out. Anna being led by the Spirit, going to the temple day by day. Here's Simeon. He's seeing Christ. Holding him, blessing God. Over here, Anna's coming up right at that moment. You know, it's not clear if she gets to the temple and sees him or not. I think Anna's on her way, and the Spirit leads her, and she knows. She knows by the Spirit of God that the Messiah has arrived. She came up and began giving thanks of speaking to him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Israel. And so here's what I take from that. Seize every opportunity to make him known as soon as possible. And I want to do that right now. Do you know, if you're in here and you have not put your faith in Christ, God's word says in John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You can have that right now if you will put your faith in Christ. Don't wait. Seize every opportunity to make him known as soon as possible. Who in your life needs to hear about Christ? One of my favorite stories uh, is George Mueller. I love George Mueller. Um, And uh, one of my favorite stories uh, about George Mueller is George Mueller had, uh, he was a man of great prayer and great faith. And he had five people he prayed for his whole life. And the first three 
And he, he committed to praying for these five people every day. And he says he begins praying for the first person. And a few weeks later, God saves them. He begins praying for the second person, the second friend. A few years later, they get saved. Begins praying for the third person. It was a few decades later, 20, 30 years, God saves them. He dies. The two other friends got saved shortly after he died. Friends, if you're thinking, I'm not good at evangelism, guess what? Nobody is. All right? But you can pray. You can do that. Can you pray? God is pleased to answer the prayers of his people. We've covered a lot of ground. And, um, you know, the birth of Christ, one of the things that is so remarkable about this, there's a lot of activity going on in these first few chapters of Luke. What's remarkable is Christ is actually, he's not saying anything. It's one of the few places that we see in the gospel where Jesus isn't actually saying anything. He's silent. And, uh, you know, the birth of Christ really gives us one of the most remarkable opportunities to see Christ clearly. And I wonder if you've ever thought of it that way. And just think about how Luke has arranged the details of the story. Earlier in Luke 1, the angel Gabriel was sent to announce to Mary that she'll have a son. Mary responds with a posture of humble resignation and quiet trust in God's plan. Simeon is filled and led by the Spirit to bless her and Joseph. And Anna speaks of him to all who are waiting on him. And if we are just looking really closely at the Spirit's work, we actually get a glimpse of Christ himself. Christ, the one, the messenger sent by God. Christ, the one who is humbly and joyfully resigns himself to do the Father's will. Christ, the true Israelite who is led by and dependent upon the Spirit. Christ, ready to go to the lost and proclaim good news to all who will hear it. We shouldn't minimize the Spirit's work in our lives. God is showing off Christ more than we know. The Bible tells us there is coming a time when the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Just as surely as Christ came the first time, he will come the second time. Friends, let's encourage each other with these truths. This is the gospel. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, it is your pleasure, it is your, it is your design that we would see Christ clearly. And Father, your plan for our sanctification is that we would see Christ clearly. And Father, the end of it all is that we would see Christ more clearly. God, from beginning to end, your design is that we would see Christ. Lord, would you take uh, just any part of this today, and would you just, God, cause fruit to bear. It would just be so sweet even just to hear, uh, Lord, how your word is moving in the coming weeks, just as hope continues 
uh, to grow. Lord, we ask that you, uh, Lord, would give us a greater awareness of what Christ is doing. Make us more like Christ. Father, would you help us to be faithful in small things so that Christ might be shown off in our lives. Father, would you help us to keep in step with your spirit. And Christ, would you grant, would you give us boldness to declare your gospel, even as Anna did? She was just so willing to do it to all who were ready to hear. Would that just be true of us, that we were people who were just ready to share the gospel? Lord, thank you for the chance to preach your word this morning. And Father, I ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.